With some hot games getting a second print run and others making their initial splash, I've been able to try a fresh handful of new releases. It's that time again to get candid with the cardboard by sharing my first impressions of the following games. The Search for Planet X, Red Rising, Railroad Inc. Challenge, Blitzkrieg Nippon Expansion, and Barrage. My name is Nick Murray, and this is the Bywing Games Podcast. So first up, we're going to talk about The Search for Planet X, which I have one play of. The Search for Planet X is not going to change anybody's mind about this entire genre of puzzly deduction games, but it just might be the absolute best of the bunch. This is one of the few tabletop games in the market where the required mobile app deserves more compliments than complaints. As we've observed in other great deduction games like Cryptid or Loot of Lima, the entire game can be broken for everyone if a player accidentally gives the wrong information. In this case, nobody has the opportunity to ruin the game for everyone because the app does all the hard work of dispensing information to each player individually. The mechanisms are very clever as well, as you have a few options for what kind of information you want the app to give you, but they come with varying costs. Cost, in this case, translates to time, and the more time your chosen action requires, the longer it will take for your next turn to arrive. Time is spent by moving your observatory marker around the circular board, and the player at the back is the one who takes the next turn. To reduce analysis paralysis, the board also has a rotating shield that covers up half of the spaces and limits your options for which sectors you can investigate. An exciting aspect of this rotating shield is that every time it reaches a theory symbol, players can each publish one theory, which remains secret for a few rounds before flipping face up and being proven for points or disproven for penalties. The game urges you to take leaps of faith and cut some corners in your deductions, because the benefits of correct theories far outweigh the punishment of incorrect ones. In fact, the points from well-timed, accurate theories can potentially be enough to win the game without ever discovering Planet X. Where most deduction games only reward the first deducer with the victory, while everyone else is declared a loser, the search for Planet X rewards all players constantly throughout the game. The victory comes down to a tight margin of points that represent an accumulation of each player's brilliant discoveries throughout the game. Don't be mistaken. The search for Planet X still succumbs to the usual genre tropes of being a low-interaction, brain-burning logic puzzle. But for those who enjoy a good mental challenge, this one is the cream of the crop. My current rating, 8.5 out of 10. Moving on to Red Rising, which I have one play of. I wouldn't call myself a Red Rising superfan, but I thoroughly enjoyed reading the original trilogy back in 2018. I probably gobbled all three books up in less than two months. Unfortunately, three years is plenty of time for me to forget all but the major plot beats. To oversimplify things, I felt it was a better version of The Hunger Games. Actually, let's desimplify that a bit. I don't remember as much now, but I dug up my non-spoilery remarks on the first book that I posted on Goodreads after reading it. Here's what I said. Basically, if you liked how The Hunger Games trilogy started, let's be honest, book three was definitely a letdown. Then there is no reason you won't love Red Rising. 
It has a dystopian society with different classes of people, sort of like Hunger Games. But beyond that, you will find an entirely different beast of a novel. Red Rising is a brutal, blazing journey through an imaginative sci-fi world of futuristic Mars with an unstoppable force of a main character and his quest for justice against an all-powerful organization, a story that I couldn't put down. End of quote. So, with a New York Times best-selling trilogy as its theme and the Stonemaier Games as its publisher, Red Rising is a juggernaut of an IP-based board game. Despite my history with the IP, I typically don't come into these types of games with many expectations. What I appreciate most is when a design can evoke the feeling of its theme to where they feel inseparable. And to me, Red Rising the book series is a story of passion, brutality, vengeance, and thrills. Ironically enough, Red Rising the board game evoked the exact opposite feelings from its source material. Namely, apathy, gentleness, sympathy, and drudgery. Those who are familiar with Stonemaier games shouldn't be surprised to find a low-interaction, conflict-averse design here, even with its conflict-heavy source material. And I don't take offense from the gameplay actively rebelling against its inspiration. All it means to me is that the theme can simply be tossed out the window like the core of a once-tasty apple, so I can focus solely on driving the mechanisms at play. Sure, maybe keeping both the red... EO card and other great cards in your hand is a bad idea because EO and gray people don't get along well in the books or something. But at the end of the day, we're just min-maxing points here. Points, 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 baby. Players start out with five cards each and they spend the entire game perfecting their hand of cards to maximize their scoring potential. Typically, you'll deploy a card into one of four columns to trigger its deployability. Then claim a card in another column and trigger the column bonus. Column bonuses include moving up a point track, adding a point cube to a rectangle, taking a point gem, or stealing the point token. Additionally, final cards in your hand are worth flat points at the top and potential bonus points at the bottom. Those bonus points are usually positive, but occasionally negative. That's right, points, 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 baby. If you don't want to lose a card from your hand by deploying it, you can instead take the scout action, which has you reveal a new card from the deck to place in any column and gain that column's bonus. This action is basically the unwanted child of the game. But boy did I become well acquainted with this little guy. Most of the cards I was able to acquire into my hand contained deploy abilities such as move an orange card from this column to another column, or if you deploy this card on top of a red card, then gain it. Yet I found these abilities to be so situationally specific, especially considering the deck contains at least 11 or so different colors, that they were relentlessly useless. My most frequent decision made in this game was as follows. Do I cling onto this card for another turn in hopes of its deployability becoming useful by mere chance? Or do I trash it now to pick up something else that I don't care about? I also found the very act of reading these cards, spread across my hand and sprawling across the board, to be quite the chore thanks to the text-heavy deployabilities and bonus point objectives. With all these colorful, wordy cards, it's a bit like gathering around fresh vomit from a sick unicorn who confused the library for a buffet. Only, that sounds more interesting than Red Rising to me. I can't recall any standout moments between my opponents and I, probably because we were too busy reading, squinting, craning, calculating, and peeking. And what was all the hard work and strategery for anyways? The last player simply used his final turn to steal the point token. 
you know, that certain special way to score points we were talking about, and cause a 70-point swing from an opponent to himself. Of course, this thief had no way of knowing that the cards in his victim's hand were set up to score this poor sap 45 points by possessing the special token at the end of the game, plus another 10 points from the token itself. Nope. This victory-stealing decision had nothing to do with the winner's brilliant play or the victim's costly mistake. Instead, it had everything to do with plain, simple chance. But in the end, we all got tons of those juicy, sweet points, 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 baby. And that's all that matters, right? Oh, and those fancy game pieces, of course. As usual, Stonemaier Games does a pretty production with the Red Rising components here. Our friend treated us to his deluxe copy, which features dense metal player tokens, colorful individual card stands, and a custom plastic insert. Although, it's worth noting that the card holders are flimsy enough that all of us knocked our entire stand of cards over at some point during the game. Some of us more than once, including myself. And two sets of the player colors are nearly identical shades of gold. And I've read online that the custom plastic insert is not as good as it's supposed to be. To be clear, I appreciate the folks at Stonemaier Games for their unmatched customer service, community support, and genuine passion within the industry. I don't begrudge them, their games, or their fans. I think their fearless leader, Jamie Stegmaier, is a stand-up guy and a brilliant businessman. With my ever-changing preferences, I've simply found that Stonemaier's style of games has lost its luster for me. Viticulture plus the Tuscany expansion remains the only Stonemaier survivor in my collection. And Red Rising claims the title of being my least favorite from this publisher. Is Red Rising a bad game? Who can say? I imagine it's probably great for most Stonemaier fans. All I know is it's bad for me, but I can heartily recommend the books to any who are interested. My current rating for Red Rising, the board game, is 3 out of 10. Moving on to Blitzkrieg, the Nippon expansion, which I have one play of. I love the Japanese faction, mainly due to the included Godzilla tile, and adore the new map included in this expansion to one of my favorite games of all time. It's in my top 30, Blitzkrieg. The US map completely changes the flow of the game in a fascinating and unique way. Instead of having multiple campaigns or rows in a particular theater of operations where the top campaign must finish before the next one down opens up, this new board has oodles of theaters with only one campaign or row each. The tug-of-war tracks are thus shrunk down into tiny but furious battles where a big knockout carries its momentum forward into the next theater. What I mean by that is the cube starts out one to three spaces in the direction of the previous theater's victor. The winner of the theater also gets to decide where the cube goes next, thus opening up more space bonuses and giving their opponent first dibs on them. I really dig the huge ripple effect that one theater victory can have. My only complaints are about the special weapons tokens. First off, why don't these two new tokens have their movement values on them? Just put a 1-3 on the partisans token and a 1 on the inspired leadership token. Simple as that. I don't know why they didn't do that. <laughs> Second, the rules don't clarify how the scientists should be used on the new map, but we just assume that the scientists can be played onto any theater of operations, including those that haven't been started yet, as long as it hasn't been won or closed. Third, the partisans token is the worst special weapons token in the entire game. It's basically an army token with either a value of one or a value of three, both of which are worse than every other token, which either has a higher value or a unique effect added. So I'm not sure what the point was of adding the Partisans token to the game with this expansion. But, okay, 
Rewind a bit. Despite my warty complaints, they are ultimately minor gripes to a worthwhile addition. The Nippon expansion is a must-own because of that insane map. And Godzilla, obviously. My current rating of the Blitzkrieg Nippon expansion, 9 out of 10. I can't wait to play it again. Also, for those of you who don't own Blitzkrieg at all, here's a little helpful FYI for you. I see online, at least on GameNerds.com, that they are going to soon be selling a Blitzkrieg Square Edition, which includes both the base game and the Nippon expansion for only $29.97. This is a killer deal. Highly recommended if you don't own Blitzkrieg at all yet. Moving on to Railroad Inc. Challenge, which I have three plays of between the yellow and green editions. The new Railroad Inc. Challenge won't change anyone's minds about Railroad Inc. or rolling rights in general, but it is a noticeable improvement to the original games. In particular, the special buildings allow for some nice small combos and incentives while the objective cards add in a little hint of competition and variety. When a route is drawn onto a space with a special building, that building triggers an immediate use it or lose it benefit. Residences grant points, universities grant an extra free special intersection, and factories grant an immediate duplicate of one of the white dice. The objective cards award more points to those who complete them first, and they range from filling in an entire row or column to connecting a specified number of exits with a single network. There are also three objective cards specific to each set of expansion dice, Lush Green and Shining Yellow each have two unique expansions, one simple and one complex. For my taste, the simple expansions, Making Force for Lush Green and Spreading Cacti for Shining Yellow, are a bit too simplistic and similar to really stand out, especially when compared to the River and Lake expansions of Railroad Inc. Deep Blue Edition. These new ones somewhat pale in comparison. Yet with the added complexity that the new challenge features provide, perhaps these toned down expansions are justified. On the other hand, the Canyons expansion of Shining Yellow provides quite an interesting wrinkle, where players are allotted 12 total canyon bridges and must be careful not to get too ambitious over the 7 rounds of play, or they may find themselves boxed in by their own greed. We've yet to try the second expansion, the more complicated one, for Lush Green. Ultimately, there's no compelling reason to fork over the asking price for another set of Railroad Inc. Yet, here we are owning everything, thanks to the enticing Kickstarter. So we're trying to enjoy the expansions and variations until they grow old. While my wife Cammie continues to enjoy the challenge that Railroad Inc. provides, I find myself growing increasingly tired of roll and rights in general. I find the act of playing a solid roll and write enjoyable in the moment, yet forgettable and borderline regrettable after the game has concluded. Even with competitive objective cards that Railroad Inc. Challenge adds to the formula, I find these types of games to be the least interactive experiences in my entire collection. Each play of a roll and write feels like a lost opportunity to engage with everyone else at the table within a more compelling game. The expansions are the main thing keeping Railroad Inc. alive for me. They keep me from getting too bored with the formula and motivate me to try the ones I haven't played yet. Yet the roll and write fatigue is getting real after roughly 70 plays across a dozen or so games in this genre for me. My current rating for Railroad Inc. Challenge is 6 out of 10. Finally, we're going to talk about Barrage, which I also have one play of so far. After being top Barrage and playing through it once, I still don't know what some of those resources are called, but I sure had a great time. Barrage hits the sweet spot for heavy complexity gamers who love to roll up their sleeves and wrestle in the mud of cutthroat interaction. The rules themselves aren't too unwieldy or overwhelming. 
Rather, the struggle to achieve objectives efficiently is where Barrage starts to cook the brain. Like many tight euros, you'll spend most of your turns trying to scrape every last morsel of progress out of your stuff. Only in Barrage, everybody has their clawing fingers reaching into the same small barren barrel all at the same time. You may spend an entire meaty round out of five total building up a gloriously lucrative dam only for an opponent to come in next round and start rerouting all the water that was flowing into your energy cash cow from upstream. When water is in short supply and money and resources and action options and workers and building locations, every move you take can have a devastating effect on opponents. Now, Barrage certainly isn't as punishing of a game as something like Age of Steam or Bust, though. There are plenty of paths one can take to accomplish their goals. Players can seek to increase their recycling resource pool, speed up their resource washing machine, fulfill contracts for bonuses, purchase wildly powerful construction upgrades, restock their money supply, load up on more water to trickle down now or later, and more. But every action... Every decision comes with a heavy opportunity cost and often a steep entrance fee, so you'll frequently have to plan out multiple upcoming turns. Beyond the solid asymmetry, tight economics, and deliciously brutal dynamics, Barrage carves out its own special thematic niche with the stacking dam tokens and overflowing waters and spinning resource wheel. These standout features are the frosting on an exquisite cake. Just be aware that this is a rich cake indeed, and those who prefer games that are gentler on the brain and feelings may struggle to get through this dense slice of strategy gaming. My current rating for Barrage is 8 out of 10, but talking about it just makes me want to play it more, and I can honestly see this rating going up with more plays. This concludes another episode of Candid Cardboard, my first impressions of somewhat recent board game releases. Speaking of board game releases, if today is Monday, May 3rd, 2021 or later, then we have a nice juicy surprise for you on our website at BiteWingGames.com. Specifically, the new art for our upcoming game, Reiner Kinesia's Soda Smugglers, has been revealed. So go ahead and drink it in through your pupils by clicking on the new Games tab on our website. Yet, if you already subscribe to our newsletter, then perhaps you've already seen this artwork in our May email. And if not, then why not sign up for our newsletter on our website? Our newsletter contains useful summaries of all our latest content, blog posts, podcast episodes, and YouTube videos. And it contains spicy reveals of our upcoming publications. But Nick, you ask, what's going to be your spicy June reveal? How about the other Reiner Kinesia game we'll be publishing, specifically Puma Fiosi? You can expect to see some glorious artwork featuring mountain lions and cougars in classy mafia attire. Also, we just want to give a huge thanks to all of you ladies and gents for your support and feedback. We wouldn't be cranking out all of this content if we weren't truly passionate about the tabletop gaming hobby. But with your support, we'll be able to do even more. And that all starts with this upcoming bundle of Kickstarter games. So, if you enjoy tuning into our content and joining our discussions, and you want to support Bywing Games, then we invite you to pledge your support in our August Kickstarter campaign. In return, we pledge to provide you with three killer card games, as well as ongoing audio, video, and textio board game content. The content is free. The board games are not. <laughs> we can't just pay for these ourselves. Come on. All right, that's enough soapboxing for today. My name is Nick Murray, and this is the Bywing Games Podcast. <laughs>